scripture reading today will be from Psalm 100 and also Mark 12, 28 to 34. We will be reading from Psalm 100 first. I'm reading from the NRSV, so that way you are not confused if the words are different. And we will be starting in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It's he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Now Mark 12, 28 to 34. Sorry, in 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. Good morning. Greetings to those that are watching at home. To love is to honor. It's the title I chose for this morning. And we'll be referring to it occasionally. Someone once said that the popularity of a church is measured by its Sunday morning attendance. The popularity of the preacher by its Sunday evening attendance. However, the popularity of the Lord is measured at the midweek prayer meeting. Interesting way of thinking about that because the, uh, the popularity of any of those is only because of what people are looking for and what they're gathered to do together and what they're, what they're looking for in some ways. How many people adore someone that they haven't met? You know people that do that? With all of the online dating services now, sometimes you know you, you have a little different scenarios, but I can't imagine that people even then would adore someone when they're just sitting at dinner with them the first time. Or as I heard one time, somebody actually was sitting there at dinner and the person that they had been matched with went to use the restroom and excused themselves and never came back. Just left. 
Not much adoration for that kind of a situation. We generally don't adore something or someone that we've not met or we've never experienced or encountered. You say, well, yeah, that's pretty logical. It is. Um, but uh, the, the level of adoration is related to the level of the relationship. Now, Rhonda's already given us a good start this morning. She shared some of the same words that I am plan- was planning on sharing about what, what it means to honor someone. Because it isn't just, oh, oh they, they look so good. Or it isn't just that, um, oh, I appreciate they're so good at this or they're good at that. Adoring someone has, is, is a singular thing, but to honor someone isn't to just goo-goo and gaga over them. It's to decide that you give someone honor because of who they are and who they are to you. It's a distinction. It's giving them merit and credit, respect, and as was said earlier, esteem. It's to actually give a sense of credit to someone because of what they have done, because of who they are, period. Another part of the definition of it is adhering to what is right or a conventional standard of conduct. And so when we honor God with our lives and with our behaviors, we're offering a form of adoration. Our brochure for this morning asks some questions, or it's, it, it makes a couple of statements. Our God is to be adored and honored for who he is. He is powerful, he is almighty, among many, many other things. He is the creator of the universe, the Alpha and Omega. Do we actually stop in our prayers and give credit, give honor to God and thank God? You'll notice that even the Lord's Prayer begins with our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, honor to you. Great is your name. It starts with the recognition of who God is. It's a powerful kind of message. And this Psalm 100 that was read is a psalm that, that talks about a calling for shouting joy to the Lord and worshiping God with gladness. It's acknowledging who God is because verse three says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And therefore, that acknowledgement begins with now, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His courts, I'm sorry, I mixed that up. And his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. And that's praising for what God's done, not just who he is. And so... So often we judge relationships by what have you done for me lately, which is getting to the praise part about what someone does 
but not necessarily about who they are. And so we're called to that. And then it, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. That's also a promise of what God will do in the future. And so we have this combination of who God is, what he's done, and what he will do in the future. All three of those are significant. Now, when we talk about prayer and what makes prayer powerful, it begins with adoration. So then coming Sundays, you will see additional sermons that are based upon what makes for a powerful prayer. And basically, what makes for a powerful prayer is, is that adoration. It begins with the adoration. There was a poem that I ran across, Praying with Power. It's not the words you say, it's not how long you pray, it's not how loud your sound, it's not a demanding pound. It's not an emotional tear and not always what you want to hear. It's not the perfect in the perfect life led and not in some article read. No, the real power of prayer comes from a heart that cares, is sincere, thankful, and humble, and trusts that God never stumbles. So if you want to pray with power, give up on watching the hour. Give up on praying the right way or getting an answer to that very day. Be silent enough to hear. Invite the Lord to be near. Give thanks for the things he's done and praise for the battles won. Bow down and give your requests. Expect God will do what is best. Let go of the things you can't mend, but listen for the things, the ways to attend. Most importantly, pray in God's will for answers and storms to be still, for healing and hurting to cease, and God's purpose to bring lasting peace. Praying in God's will is a powerful way of adoring God and recognizing that it is God that we depend on uh, for strength to make it through the difficult and the blessing of what is good and right and pure. Adoration is based on who God is. Our petition and supplication is based on what God does or can do and, and recognizing it. Thanksgiving, which we'll look at in a few weeks, is based on what God has done. But if we're honest, we tend to spend a lot more time asking for things. But God desires to hear the adoration first. If the only reason you want to be with me is for what I can do for you, that's not very honoring or respectful. And it's not really giving God credit or praise. E. Stanley Jones said, if I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore, and believe me, in my days of fishing, which uh, there are some even videotapes that are not very becoming, I have caught the shore numerous times and tried reeling it in. What he, he goes on to say is, uh, and catch hold of the shore and pull. Do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will 
to the will of God. Now think about that. How much of our prayers are designed to pull God to what I want as opposed to what God wants. And so when we go into any relationship, we go in first getting to know who the person is, what they're like. Um, and it's challenging sometimes. We, we've met people that we, we know we've met before, but we forgot everything about them. Now, where are you from again? Now, what, what do you do again? It's always embarrassing. And the older you get, it's hard to always keep that straight when you haven't seen one, someone for a couple of years. But if you're talking about going on a, a, a date with someone or you're talking about a family reunion, um, it matters what you remember because that it, it does really make a difference to connect. We aren't always going to be perfect with that and our memories are, aren't always the greatest. And you've met someone for five seconds and introduced them you aren't always going to remember even their name. But the point is that those relationships that we want to invest in and have the most significance involved with it are relationships that we will take note. And it is the beginning and remembering things about someone. In our discipleship class, we're talking about this in, in looking at, at how you disciple in a small group. And one of the things about that is remembering and making notes about what you're learning about the people you're with. It's remembering, hey, you know, I know you uh, were going to see a doctor next week or last week. And, you know, just wanted to know, I want you to know I was praying for you. How did it go? That is a powerful way of connecting because you listened well enough to be attentive to it. And that is so, something, the, the mistaken notion is that if you are adoring something, you're just like, oh, isn't it so beautiful? Isn't that great? You know what? God wants a little more of, than just simply the ah kind of experience. He wants us to actually understand and he wants us to actually follow up with and, and be able to make it a part of what we're living with. And it's remembering. And so all through scripture, if there's one thing that is constant in every context that God is working with his people, and even with Jesus, is remembering where you've been, remembering what God's done in the past for you. It's remembering and working at that and paying attention to that. So adoration isn't just being starstruck or, or being impressed. It's caring enough to invest in something deeper than just the surface relationship. In Psalm 111, which is another great psalm, and I won't go into it this morning, but Psalm 11 has three or four uh, phrases that talk about in God's love enduring forever. It says in verse 3 of Psalm 111, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 5, he remembers his covenant forever. And in verse 7 or in 8, 
established forever and ever are the precepts of his trustworthiness. And in verse 9, he ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And then you have verse 10. For all of those that have begun to think that you know something, like you're pretty good at remembering. I just loved it because the other night I had the privilege of providing a piece of information that I don't even think the kids thought that I knew what I was talking about. And to be honest, sometimes I don't. Um, but I happened to know a trivia piece of information that was, was like, yes, yeah, I got it right. I got the, the right answer to it. But uh, remembering, remembering what has happened in the past is an important part of adoration. This is what God has done. So it's who God is. It's what God has done. Those two things. Because we honor God by knowing and accepting who he is. We honor God by appreciating and giving thanks. And we'll be talking more about thanks in the coming weeks. But there is a third part. And that third part is, what about what God is going to do? And that's the part that we're so often praying about. We're looking for God to work and to act. And sometimes we think that it's just an act of God to change things. I want to tell you a story. It's called the monk story. And in this story, it demonstrates something pretty powerful for us. It demonstrates what God is looking for in terms of honoring one another. Because if you remember, in, in the greatest commandment that was given, and Jesus answered correctly, as he should, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is equal Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this story. It was, it's a story told about an old monastery that, and monasteries are often in secluded places. Uh, it had fallen on hard times. It once was a great order. They were highly respected and renowned. But as a result of the waves of, the, uh, of being persecuted and, and there was an anti-monastic movement in the 17th and 18th centuries and there was a rise of secularization and all of this added up to this monastery becoming forgotten unpopular and broken down their buildings were dilapidated they were decaying and the abbot and four others were all over 70 years of age Clearly, it was a dying order. Things looked grim. In the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut that a rabbi from a nearby town occasionally used for a hermitage. Through their many years of prayer and contemplation, the old monks had become a bit uh, psychic, so they could always sense when the rabbi was in his hermitage. The rabbi is in the woods, they said one day. The rabbi is in the woods again. And they could whisper to each other 
As he agonized over the imminent death of his order, it occurred to the abbot uh, on one of those occasions to visit and talk to the rabbi to see if there was some possible chance he could give advice. The rabbi welcomed the abbot in his hut. When the abbot explained the purpose of his visit, the rabbi could only commiserate with him and say, I know how it is. The spirit has gone out of the people. It is the same in my hometown. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old abbot and the old rabbi wept together. They talked for a short while and then the time came when the abbot had to leave. They embraced each other and he said, it has been a wonderful thing that we should meet after all these years, the abbot said, but I still have failed my purpose for coming here. Is there nothing you can tell me, no piece of advice you can give me that would help me save my dying monastery? No, I'm sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give you. But the only thing I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks all gathered around. Well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot said. He just, we just wept, read the Torah together, and the only thing he did say, just as I was leaving, it was something that I didn't understand, was that the Messiah is one of us. I don't know what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered and wondered whether there was any possible significance to the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us? Could he possibly have meant that one of us monks here at the monastery is the Messiah? If that's the case, which one? Do you suppose he meant Father Abbot? He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could not have meant Brother Eldred. Eldred gets grumpy at times. But come to think of it, even though he's a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on Eldred, uh, he is virtually always right. Often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Eldred, but surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive and a real nobody. But then almost mysteriously, he has a gift for somehow always being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course, the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just so ordinary. Yet supposing he did. Suppose I am the Messiah. Oh God, I... Not me. I couldn't be that much for you, could I? As they contemplated this manner, the old monks began treating each other differently, now with extraordinary love and respect. On the off chance that one among them might be the Messiah, and on the off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary love and respect. Because the, the forest that this was located in was so beautiful. It so happened 
the people would still occasionally just come by to visit, even though it was a dying location. And now, as they would come to visit, they would have a picnic and wander the paths, and they would look at the dilapidated buildings and come to meditate. And they did, as they did so, without even anything being conscious of it, they sensed it an atmosphere around this ex, of, of extraordinary love and respect among the five surviving monks. And it just seemed to radiate around that place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to start coming back to the monastery to picnic, to play, to pray. Its beauty drew them in they began to bring their friends to show them this special place. And their friends brought their friends. And then it happened, some younger men came to visit the monastery to talk uh, more and more with the old monks. After a while, one of them asked if he could join. And then another, and then another. And so within a few years, the monastery once again was a thriving order filled to the brim with people seeking more of God. Thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality spirituality emerged in a place that had been dying. You know, the church is an amazing place when it is working as it's supposed to when we are treating each other as if each person were Christ himself, when we are following the command Jesus left, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What if we believed that someone here might be the Messiah? How would we treat them? And how would that be different than the way we treat each other now. I'm not suggesting that we're not a loving community of faith. I think we are. But let's take it a little further. What changed for this monastery and these monks, what changed in this community centered around Christ, this community changed because they put the adoration of God first and treated each other as if you say now look there's a problem pastor there's a problem how do we dare think about one of us being the messiah i want to point you back to something jesus said that was powerful he said as you have done to the least of these, my brothers, you have done to me. Now that is very close to saying we are to treat each other the way Christ treats us. We are to treat each other with the adoration, the honor of how God has reached down and treated us and intervened for us and provided for us and how he's offered us grace and forgiveness and healing 
from all the hurts that we face. That would change any community. Could it change us? Will it change us? I hope so. Finally, I just want to say that we compliment or praise God, we adore God when we look beyond our current circumstances and we adore God for what he calls us to. It's not just hoping on what he is going to do. It's also joining him in what he's going to do. And so one of the ways that we honor God, someone once said that the, the love language of God is obedience. You know that Gary Chapman wrote a book, The Five Love Languages, Words of Affirmation, Quality Time, Physical Touch, Acts of Service, Receiving Gifts. And I want to say that the greatest of those is the acts of service because you can do the other ones in idea and thought and good intentions, but if you really want to adore God, we serve God's purpose. God is working his purpose out. There's a hymn, God is working his purpose out as, and the time is drawing near. Near and near draws the time, the time that shall surely be when the earth shall be filled with the goodness of God as the waters cover the sea. That, that phrase is an understanding that God has a purpose and is going to continue to work. And we adore him most when we don't just pray great prayers, but we actually live great prayers. That's really all that that story of the monastery and those five monks. What changed for them is they began doing what they were called to do. If God meant anything to them, they put it in practice and they actually live it out. They honor God by serving, obeying, and applying. So as we think about what situation we're in this morning, have you found yourself complimenting the Lord, praising him for good things, and focusing on the, the blessings instead of what's not there or what's wrong? Are we grateful for his great works and what he's done through Christ? Do we adore him and compliment him and give thanks and trust him for what will come? Before we close this service with one of the great hymns, I want to share with you a little story that goes along with it. We're going to sing How Great Thou Art. And I want to, we'll have the team come on up. This is a hymn that shows great adoration to God. It's a hymn that, like any prayer, is powerful as it's practiced. It's powerful because we are recognizing who God is, what he has done for us, his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his pursuit of us through Christ, and, and, and also a call for us. We adore him most in his love language by being obedient to his way. 
And so uh, as we sing this song, let's make it a prayer. But Ross Cochran shared this story. His dad was dying of cancer in a nursing home. He was in a partial coma. And he said that when I visited him before that day came, we, we had come down from Queensland in Australia to Wagga Wagga, which was uh, the town name, and that was his dad's birthplace. He was wondering where he was in terms of his relationship with God. He didn't know for sure. And um, he uh, went to visit him, and how would he be able to share with him a word of hope or to pray with him or to, to make sure things were right with God because he was now in a coma and had been for a while. He said, as I stood in the room by his bed, Julie suggested that I sing to him. I began to sing softly the hymn, How Great Thou Art. I had given him a tape before. This was before CDs. He gave him a tape of, of Ross bring, singing a number of Christian songs that, he, that might speak to him. He says, afterwards, my mom told me that he used to play this tape a lot. As I stood there by the bed, I sensed the presence of God fall. And my father, out of a coma, began singing somewhere from the depths, how great thou art, how great thou art. He couldn't communicate to me, but he could sing. And all I could do was watch and sing in amazement as tears flowed down his face. He said, I was there for quite some time, not knowing what all this meant when the nurse came in and saw the expression and my tears and his tears. And she said, you know that your dad has accepted Christ some time ago. Um, and loves the Savior. Ross says, I just wept. Will the greatness of God, the incredible things he's done for us, the promise of his presence, his purpose, his peace, cause you this morning to weep in honor and adoration as we are faithful in prayer and in life. May we... Share together as you stand to sing How Great Thou Art.